the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. Good afternoon, Northern California. Welcome. Just about five minutes after the hour, 5 p.m., as we welcome you to another edition of Lifeline. Keeping you company Monday through Friday at this time, as we typically do, addressing issues that impact your life, your world, and your Christian walk. Well, today, a special guest joining us on the program, and he'll be familiar, undoubtedly, to many of you. Perhaps if you've ever been down south in the Atlanta, Georgia area, you'll know him as the senior pastor of Church of the Apostles in Atlanta, Georgia. Or maybe better still, you know him as best-selling author and speaker on the Leading the Way radio broadcast. Pleasure to have join us today, Dr. Michael Youssef. Dr. Youssef, it's been a while since we've had a chance to talk. Great to have you with us today. My pleasure. If I'm not mistaken, I think the last time we had a chance to visit was, my goodness, probably prior to COVID. And so much has changed since that time. But I don't want to get distracted here. Uh, Let's start first about your new book. It's a fascinating one and I think extremely timely as we talk about the issue of teaching people how to read the Bible. And I think the subtitle is also important as if your life depends upon it. But if you would, perhaps give us a bit of context in terms of what motivated you to sit down and pen this book. Uh, You work, of course, ministry in Atlanta area, and um, we've seen a lot of changes taking place down in the South. In fact, I read the other day that some of the greatest amount of movement in the United States seems to all be heading from states like, well, New York and California all down your way. So give us some perspective in terms of where you see us today and where we're going to be headed perhaps in the very near term well it's a big mess <laughs> to, to say the least for us at least from our eyes uh, it's a mess but from God's eyes it is not he's got it all worked out he's got the plan he's nobody can thwart his plans but from a human point of view still you cannot help but feel uh, that a state that has been for 20 years really becoming conservative, becoming uh, very uh, thoughtful in their approach. They moved a long way away from the old days. Uh, we had Sonny Perdue as our governor, the first one in 135 years as a Republican. And then all of a sudden, uh, the, the kind of the, 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 the bottom fell off the a bag and and uh, and then with the influx of people from I'm told there are about a hundred thousand moving in here every month and they're coming from your way <laughs> and and sadly you know the message sometimes I give when I'm with locally I tell them I said look you come here don't turn it into the places that you left <laughs> because that's a mess and uh, so but the 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 
the state. I was just having uh, lunch today with one of the leaders of the state government, and the state is changing, uh, particularly the Atlanta. Now, the rest of Georgia is remaining stalwart and strong, but the city of Atlanta, where that influx of uh, others who are coming in from other parts of the country is, is really changing. And we haven't been able to get our senator elected in the last three years. Undoubtedly, some of the changes, of course, that we've been seeing in our country over the last four, five, six years, maybe even longer now, goes to that sense of beginning to drift away from our historical Judeo-Christian ethic, uh, the the moorings, if you will, that guided America in her founding from that point to just recent times. And suddenly we're no longer embracing a moral code that shows honor and respect for God. And quite frankly, respect for each other. And, you know, you you look at some of the challenges that the nation is grappling with. I'm wondering from your perspective and and as an immigrant yourself, what you think about some of the changes that we're seeing going on in our country today. I think uh, laws uh, and government that are given by God, according to Romans 13, to protect the citizenry. In fact, the federal government has only two roles is to protect uh, the citizens and defend them and, and none of the other stuff that has in, increased by, with time. But I can tell you, and I speak as an immigrant, when I immigrated to this country, I had to, and my family, we had to go through a medical examination, not by our doctor, local doctor that we go to, but the embassy, the American embassy doctor. Uh, we had to prove that uh, we have clearance from the tax department that we owe no taxes in the country that we're in. We had to prove a police report that we have no records, police records in the countries we come from. All of that. And when you think about it, I had to sign an affidavit. I've never been involved with a communist party or a communist. Uh, 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 and all of that was fine. We, we, I never complained. I thought it was wonderful. And because that's what a country's supposed to be, is protecting their citizens. But when you open a border under the guise of compassion, that's not compassion. But imagine me as a father. I would open my door to criminals to come into my house where, you know, my family is not protected. That's, I would be very irresponsible. In fact, I, I would be a, a, a partner in crime. And that is what is happening to us as a nation. God gave us a government in order to protect the citizenry. Now we're opening the door and said, criminals, come in here, attack the citizens, loot the shops, do whatever you want to do. There are no consequences. And that is absolutely a miscarriage of responsibility and justice for any nation. It doesn't matter which nation, any nation. And all nations have laws. If you've just joined us, we're visiting today with Dr. Michael Youssef, Senior Pastor of Church of the Apostles in Atlanta, Georgia, and of course, speaker on the Leading the Way radio broadcast, heard nationally as well as here in the San Francisco Bay Area on our sister station, AM 1640 KDIA. Dr. Youssef, kind of continuing the same line of, of thought, I'm curious about your observations related to the trends we're seeing today in the American family. For example, in addition to not just a high divorce rate, but now we're also beginning to see 
a low marriage rate. And it seems as if a lot of the fundamental aspects of our culture and society are being challenged and stripped away. You know, what the norms once were for not just centuries, for millennia are being questioned and challenged. And it almost seems as if we're creating an environment where children are growing up not knowing who they are, what their relationship to God is, or even whether or not God exists at all. And while certainly those questions have been around us for a long, long time, to see the rapid rate of deterioration is very alarming. What do you think about some of these trends? It's satanic. That's all it is. From our Christian point of view, it's it's pure satanic activities. The destruction of the family is Satan's desire from day one. He destroyed the marriage of Adam and Eve by having a rebel against God. And he has been trying to do this ever since. He's First of all, of course, he's trying to have a, a, a conduct a coup d'etat to unseat God from his throne. And then he got thrown out of heaven with third of the angelic being. And they are creating havoc. And I really believe that Satan is now sensing that his time coming to an end. And he does not know the times. Even Jesus said he did not. Only the Father knows the moment where the world's going to end. But he senses it. He, he, he can read the tea leaves, of it, as it were. And he feels that his time is coming to an end. And therefore, he is intensifying his activities. Let's pivot now to the subject of your new book. It's a very timely one, I think, particularly given the degree of biblical illiteracy we see in the church today. And that degree of illiteracy, I think, is growing. The new title is How to Read the Bible as if Your Life Depends Upon It. Uh, Certainly, I think, a timely topic, but perhaps the title a bit on the apocalyptic side, would you think? It is, and deliberately so. Because I used to be part of the mainline denominations. And I left when we lost the battle for the Bible. Once the undermining of the scripture. And started with all kinds of, oh, it's your interpretation. Now they, do, they deny it altogether. Now that same argument that I experienced or, or lived 40 years ago, that I'm reliving it with the evangelical churches. We have mega church pastor who's telling other pastors that we need to get unhitched from the Old Testament. They get mega churches uh, all over the country who are telling people, well, you can't really uh, defend the Bible and therefore uh, don't defend it. Uh, and, and the truth is, this book has taken me 52 years to write. Because it, it basically, it's a condensing of my entire life and ministry and my conviction of the authority of the Word of God as inspired by the Holy Spirit, as infallible Word of God. And so I show in the book and explain why from Genesis to Revelation, it's a one theme, it's one book. Of course, the Bible exposes people's failures and sin and judgment and so forth. Those are things that are important. The Bible doesn't take the characters and wash them and uh, stash them and put them in a cellophane paper and put them on a pedestal and say, now be like that. No, they show us warts and all. So the Bible is trustworthy and must be believed if a person is going to be eternally saved and making it to heaven must do what Jesus did. He affirmed the authority of the Old Testament, which was his Bible. 
He quoted uh, Noah. He quoted from Jonah. He quoted from Daniel. He basically said, I came to fulfill. I came to complete the Old Testament. I often say the Old Testament is like a house but lacks a roof. And so the New Testament is that roof that makes that house complete. We have one book, not two books, like a play, Act 1, Act 2. One without the other doesn't make sense. And so those who are going around in the evangelical world saying, let's dump the Old Testament, it's like going and say, your your building is a beautiful building, but the foundation, we can't see it, we don't need it, let's bomb it. Well, how long would the building stay? <laughs> Point well taken. You know, it's interesting because we're in contact with the pastors all over the greater San Francisco Bay Area on a pretty routine basis. And I, I think it's interesting to note that while there's been talk about separating the wheat and the chaff, the sheep from the goats, things of that sort, and certainly post-COVID, we've seen a drop in church attendance. We're also seeing people begin to explore the claims of Christ and dive into the scriptures in ways that we've not seen in years, maybe even since the Great Awakening. I just hazard any guess. And I wonder how much of that relates right back to the frustration that people are feeling, the sense of hopelessness that is out there. They can't trust the government. They can't trust their neighbors. Even their own communities seem to be falling apart with a high incident of drug abuse, high crime rates, even local communities that are, you know, beginning to see things like drug use as simply a means of elevating tax dollars and tax revenue into the city coffers. It's it's a nightmare. But as people begin to explore the truths, the claims of Christ, and, and they begin to go a little bit deeper, um, you know, I think the important thing perhaps for the church to come back to is how critically important the scripture is to our everyday lives. And that if we disengage from God's word, that some of what we're seeing happening in the culture today is undoubtedly the result. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. As I call it, they're digging a hole. And the more they dig, the more they are buried in that hole. And unfortunately, um, for now, but you're exactly right, it's just a matter of time. The line of demarcation has already begun between the remnant, the true believers. And maybe God is already starting to separate the sheep from the goats uh, and the wheat from the chaff. And maybe the separation already begun. But regardless of that, I think you're exactly right. It's just a matter of time. When the, the genuine believers, those who know and love Jesus, are going to say, I am t- I'm not going to put up with this. I need to go where I, people who trust the word of God to be the word of God. Well, I know we can certainly both agree that the Word of God is powerful and effective. It changes lives as it changes hearts. And once again, when you're connected into that power source, so to speak, um, and the Holy Spirit is able to guide you and, and illuminate your understanding and your your the way you comport yourself and carry yourself through the Scripture, it creates changes. I think that sometimes in a world that's as mixed up as we are right now, people would want things to be changed, would like to see things different. I mean, that's what we're all looking for, I think. And that is change and a betterment. They're looking for hope. And if someone doesn't get them into the scripture presently, that's a challenge. So to that degree, what would your invitation be to that individual, that person who has not yet really dove fully into God's word? 
Well, this is what actually drove me to, to write the book, because 10% of believers, so Christians, read the Bible daily. 18% read it uh, maybe once or twice a week. Now I'm saying, how can you say, I am breathing uh, today, so I'm not going to breathe tomorrow? And that biblical illiteracy really is what brings us full circle to what we started with. It's biblical illiteracy that's bringing this kind of mess that we're in morally, psychologically, spiritually, sociologically. And therefore, I am pleading with people everywhere, please read my book, but don't ever use any of my books as a substitute for the Word of God. This book is going to make you so excited so enthusiastic about reading the Word of God that you will never stop reading the Word of God. That's really the purpose of the book. Dr. Youssef, you don't need me to tell you this, but right on the money. Thank you so much for spending some time with us today. If you've just joined us again, our conversation with Dr. Michael Youssef. Of course, he is the speaker on the Leading the Way broadcast, and he's got a brand new book out, and I'll mention the title once again, How to Read the Bible as if Your Life Depends Upon It, available at Christian bookstores throughout the Bay Area, as well as through Amazon.com. Dr. Youssef, again, thanks so much for the time. It's been way too long between visits we hope to get a chance to visit with you again soon and now back to lifeline with craig roberts talk a bit about the matter of finding the ability to demonstrate gratitude in the midst of brokenness and sickness and the turmoil that life just tends to hand us Best-selling author Cynthia Rukti joins us today. She's got a couple of new books out that we've discussed on the program, Tattered and Mended, The Art of Healing the Wounded Soul, and Ragged Hope. And Cynthia, great to have you with us. We sometimes get caught up in this matter of happiness. That is a fleeting experience. Uh, you know, if, you, if you're driving to go see friends and family on Thanksgiving and you get pulled over by the CHP and handed a ticket, you're probably not going to be happy. But there's a lot that you can still be blessed about, isn't there? <laughs> yeah, that's so true. You know, I think one of the things that that many times when we're in a, in a, whether it's a season, a short season, or a, a long, prolonged season of the kind of grief that really rocks us, is that we know we're supposed to be grateful, and we have a hard time manufacturing gratitude, and then guilt's voice rises above all the others and says, well, what? I know I'm supposed to be grateful that this is making me feel worse now. What happened to my faith? What's wrong with me? I should be able to pull out some measure of gratitude in the middle of this. And for some people, it is just, no matter how strong their faith, it's a very difficult thing to do. There's one thought that I've been thinking about lately, Craig, that I, I hope will bring some insight into this. And that is that we were to- we are told in God's word that Jesus was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. With his stripes we are healed. There are other versions that say, by his wounds we are healed. It's what shredded him that brings about the healing that we need. He went through every possible torment and there's an element of that that causes us to know faith doesn't mean that we will not feel jesus felt his 
wounds, and many of them were soul wounds, not just the wounds in his flesh, but the betrayal that he knew and the the that sting of that and that stark absence and that sense of abandonment that he felt when he was on the cross and he felt that his father had turned his face away during that time. And, and even even with that, God seemed so, we would assume, so traumatized by seeing his son dying, bearing the weight of the world on his shoulders, that that's what made that darkness to fall. And yet we can take comfort in that somehow because we don't serve a God who doesn't get it. He hasn't laid out this faith plan or a life plan for that matter that ignores pain or expects pain not to register because we're people of faith. If anything, we feel it more deeply. We are still human. We're new creations, as this word says, but we feel we we are human and our capacity for empathy and compassion skyrockets when we begin to see others through his eyes. So here we are in this place where we long to express gratitude. We want to feel it, but instead what we feel is the sting and the wounds and the abandonment and the, the pain and our loss. And God is there saying, I completely understand how you feel I created you to feel. And you know what's interesting? We have to, I think, make an important um, distinction here for listeners. Uh, there's a, a tune that um, I think Tony Bennett sang that came from a musical back probably in the 1950s um, called Put on a Happy Face. Mm. And it talks about taking off the gloomy mask of tragedy and uh, brushing off the clouds and things of this sort. I think we have to be perhaps cautious here, Cynthia, that we're not trying to conjure up a, a sense of phoniness here. Uh, because, you know, so often even Christians uh, will accuse, be accused of, you know, kind of uh, stuffing our feelings and putting on a happy face um, when in reality we're hurting. And, you know, it, it's okay that we hurt. And God has given us those feelings for a reason. I suppose it's what we do with that feeling, with that energy, how we channel it, how we use it. You know, I'm, I'm reminded of the notion that it's one thing to say that we are, for example, grateful in our suffering versus the notion of being grateful for our suffering. And maybe that, that kind of shifts up the whole perspective on this, doesn't it? And, and how and where does that gratitude come from? Sometimes it comes from walking with God long enough to realize that he doesn't waste any of this pain, that he has his designs and his purposes when his children suffer. I, I don't know. Now, it's been a while maybe since some of us have experienced this, but way back when I was a child, if there was a newborn born with legs that weren't straight. Now, obviously, this still happens today. Weren't, weren't straight and strong. What oftentimes had to happen was that the phys physician would intentionally break that little newborn's legs and cast them in the right direction so that they would grow straight and strong like they should. And can you imagine our looking at those parents and saying, how cruel are you to allow your child to go through this? And yet it was for that purpose for, or for that holy process that was going to bring about exactly what that child needed in order to get the most out of life in order to be able to participate in everything 
that that child could have the chance to participate in and to bring it to a place of no pain, to bring that child to a place of no pain. And sometimes we look at God and we think, there's such a there's an element of cruelty here in what I have borne in these last months or weeks, or that wasn't funny at all, God, that you, well, even in your situation, that, that both parents are gone within the space of so few months. And, and yet we know, we know in the depths of our hearts, it is not because he is cruel. It is, he has more compassion than we could ever imagine. But there is a purpose and a time, and sometimes we can't even see that purpose. But you're so right. We can't just put on a happy face, pretend this doesn't hurt. But maybe what we're instead saying is, nevertheless, let me spell it out for you. This is how deeply I'm aching and hurting. But nevertheless, I will still praise my God because I know his heart. And I know he's going to bring me through this to something that I, I couldn't imagine. So a lot of this then is a matter of changing our perspective then, isn't it? Because it's easy for us to look at our circumstances and develop the pity party and the woe was me and see things where where we're at in the middle of all of this as opposed to seeing it from God's perspective. Uh, the other day I was on my way to this uh, appointment in town. It was an unpleasant appointment. It wasn't anything too serious, but it was one that I dreaded. And, yes, it had to do with dentists and root canals. And I'm heading into town, and as I was driving, I was obviously um, naturally apprehensive about it. And But I was listening to worship music in the car because that happens to be one of the ways that my thoughts get pulled back into better alignment. And one of the key ways that I really connect with God and His Word. And the whole world just looked bleak and gray. This was Wisconsin in November, so the skies were gray and the trees were bare. There was no color anywhere. There wasn't anything blooming anymore. But as I drove along, I, saw, I noticed that in the top of this one bare birch tree sat a bald eagle. And that bald eagle was as black and white as that tree on which it perched. It was, it, it had this posture kind of of confidence and beauty. And that scene looked like a work of art. And as I drove past, I realized that was such a brief moment, but something recalibrated in me. That sight, that art that God created and let me view changed my thoughts for just a moment. I was breathing differently because I had been able to set aside what I was dreading and what was ahead for me long enough to notice that. So there may be some element of that in all of this is finding those small things for which to be grateful while we're waiting for those larger answers to come or while we're waiting through those excruciatingly painful seasons of life. It can make a difference. It helps us breathe easier, even if that's just for a brief moment because we're reminded that God makes art not afterwards but in the middle of our messes and our distresses. We're going to pause for a moment and come back to more of our conversation on this edition of Lifeline. And we tend in the flesh, I think, to so much look at the loss, the pain, the difficult side of life that we lose perspective on the on-balance aspect of it, of seeing things from God's viewpoint, looking at, at the world through his eyes, his economy, so to speak. And, of course, in changing that, that attitude, um, it, it helps us to then refocus 
and I think better gives the possibility of of um, developing that sense of, of deep and profound gratitude. A brief time out, back with more as Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Spending some time with best-selling author Cynthia Rukti, gaining some um, different perspective on this whole matter. It's it's less about the matter of being happy and rather focusing on a sense of gratitude. And, of course, as we do that, it moves really then to shift the focus, Cynthia, from ourselves to really back to God, which is where it should be in the first place, isn't it? That's so true. That's such a key part of all of this is is that we we can have our vision on the things that are happening around us. We can have our attention drawn on the pain. We all know what that's like to have pain in some part of our body. And when our minds get distracted by something else, whether that's um, something holy sounding like worship or or ministering to somebody else, or it's as simple as a book we're reading or a movie we're watching or a conversation with a dear friend, we, we notice that for those few moments, we were able to almost forget the pain, not not completely, but there was that that beautiful um, artwork that God does. I, I go back to that analogy too often probably, but that beautiful thing that God does that somehow enables us to be able to put something else at the forefront of our thinking for a few moments. The pain is still there. We can't get away from it. We can't run away from it. That's just going to give more trouble. But when we're able to turn our thoughts and attention to something else for for a few moments, and oftentimes that is where that, that uh, work takes place, where we intentionally are looking for things to thank God for in the middle of all of this. But let's come to that analogy because I think it's 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 a wonderful one in terms of being illustrative of how we should um, shift our focus or our perspective on this matter. We're, we're not saying we deny that we've been through pain and agony, and there are people listening right now to this conversation, Cynthia, who have lost loved ones this year. They've lost jobs. Maybe they have been wounded uh, horribly so by a friend, by a spouse. They've gone through divorce. They have had somebody turn on them, whatever the experience might be. And they might say, well, you know, but look at my life. My life has become a sham. Uh, and oftentimes because of the faults of others, the influence of others, sometimes just ourselves, sometimes it's just a matter of what happens in life. And so here suddenly we're saying we're, 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 we're just a broken wreck. We're just nothing but, but horrible, broken little pieces. And we feel as if there's no way that those pieces can either be glued back together again. Mm-hmm. And so as a result, we wish to say that there can be nothing beautiful ever come out of this. And yet I'm reminded, and you talk about this in uh, the book Tattered and Mended, The Art of Healing the Wounded Soul, that if we look at a lot of artwork today, take uh, some of the, the phenomenal mosaics that you see, and this is uh, true particularly throughout um, uh, throughout Europe. I think of my travels in Italy, and you see some of these frescoes or mosaics, rather, that are, that are just stunning um, and and yet, as you get closer up, you begin to realize, well, they're really made out of a lot of misshaped pieces. Always makes you wonder if the artist didn't take the tile or the glass and just drop it in a big, you know, 
pox on the concrete and bust all the pieces and then begin taking these mismatched, uneven, no two are alike, broken shards and begin piecing them together until suddenly an incredible work of art emerges. Does that analogy apply to what God can do with the broken pieces of our lives? I think it's such a clear connection. We see that sometimes because we have lived long enough past the difficult moment to recognize it for ourselves. Sometimes that brokenness that eventually becomes that that piece of artwork isn't visible to us who were the broken ones, but it might be a next generation that understands that, that sees the art that it has become. That's kind of a sacrifice, and a sacrifice of praise, we might say, in our own lives to just assume that God is going to make something artful out of this ugly mess that we see in front of us or that we're walking through at the moment. But the truth of the matter is that it it is so often the process of something that is going to bring joy and hope and uh, and courage to other people when it's done. We're all living in the middle of our stories right now. There's there isn't a one of us that isn't. I think about the the listeners right now. Probably as you mentioned, 2015 and what had happened in that year. There are others of us who would say that was my 2012, and still others who would say that was 1982 to the present day. Everybody can mark mark that period of time in their own lives where there was something that they were going through or someone that they cared about deeply that was going through something so difficult. I I have a picture in my mind, too, of there's that iconic picture that we see once in a while of some of the Holocaust victims, some of the people who were in the internment camps, the prisoners of war, um, who, when they were released and they stood there in this huddle, sunken-eyed, the skin was barely clinging to their bones, they were knock-kneed, and uh, some of them had shirts that, that... didn't even reach to their knees and no shoes and they stood in this cluster having just been freed with with no color in their face at all and we who view that picture we're we're sickened by the sorrows that those people knew but there's something else too we're in awe that somehow they came through all that and oh the stories that they have to tell about the rescue operations about the day-to-day graces that somehow they found the strength and the energy to go on uh, my mother is one of those people she wasn't in in a in a prisoner of war camp but she was imprisoned by the heart disease that had her in its grip she had endured every heart surgery every treatment that there was available to modern science and years worth of prayers from faithful people, the faith-filled people, but she coded during one medical procedure. It took six tries to restart her heart. It actually burned the skin on her chest. Uh, When she woke up and, and she realized what had been done to her and that she now had additional misery that she was going to deal with, and she recognized that without that intervention, she could have seen her Jesus face to face. She was so disappointed when we walked into her room, when the family was finally allowed into her room. 
she was crying because she realized that that her, this body that was failing her and she'd been so close to the edge of seeing Jesus and she'd been brought back so in this weakened state she was just mourning to the nurse that was standing at her bedside about all she'd been through the multiple heart attacks every medication some of which made the condition worse instead of better so many surgeries some which were experimental then more surgeries and now this and this precious young nurse who was wise beyond her years didn't say oh i'm so sorry instead she said dorothy what you've come through in with this sense of awe and that became a new theme song for my mom her list of suffering was long but to that point she'd come through them all now eventually that pulverized heart of hers landed her in a hospice residence where she lived out her final days but Craig I have to say that those days her last days were among the most productive in the way that she loved and the people she touched and the prayer she prayed for others here was this beauty and it came from this turning of her mindset from the list of all she'd suffered to the joy of the fact that she had endured so much and was still there and still able to have input in people's lives. Let me take a brief time out here. I want to pause at that point because I don't want to get too far afield here traffic-wise, but we want to put a big bow around all of this. For those of you that are eavesdropping on the conversation tonight, Cynthia Rukti is my guest. She's been a guest on the program before, author of the newly released bestseller, Tattered and Mended, The Art of Healing the Wounded Soul. Another book, too, called Ragged Hope, both of which, by the way, are available through her website at Cynthia Rukti, R-U-C-H-T-I, Cynthia Rukti, Dot com, or you can just um, look through Amazon.com. Again, the title of the book, Tattered and Mended, The Art of Healing the Wounded Soul. We'll take a brief time out. We're going to come back more of our look at how God takes all those broken pieces and makes a beautiful thing out of our life in just a moment. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Focus on helping many of us that have gone through a very difficult year or still dealing with the memories of of past experiences it might be you know your year certainly 2015 has been my year having lost both my parents maybe as Cynthia suggests your year was 2013 2008 uh, 1956 whatever it might have been uh, either just an incredibly uh, difficult series of events or one big long event or whatever that that kind of has you on the um, the defensive side, and this is not a question of uh, trying to uh, put on a happy face, as we suggested earlier, but rather, um, and you talk about this again in the book, Cynthia, abandon the idea of blame fixing because it really doesn't profit profit a man as well at all. And then I think the also the notion too is maybe part of the challenge here is that sometimes we get so caught up in the details and the minutia um, and focusing on the loss and the pain or the difficult sides of the experience that we. 
we can't see the bigger picture. What's the old phrase? I always get a kick out of this. They talk about uh, the work of Claude Monet. Uh, look good from afar, but uh, up close, it's a mess. And, and, you know, that certainly is true. Maybe for a lot of us, we're having difficulty putting the, 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 the attitude of gratitude on because we're so up close in our circumstances. We get so focused on the minutia that we really can't step back and give it the perspective that God wants us to give it. And there may be another element here, too, that I know is a challenge for me, but the more I look at it, the more I really dig into this, the more I realize that um, that there there's this very unique and very exquisite beauty that comes from the gift we give God when we praise Him despite what's going on around us. That sacrifice of praise or that sacrifice of thanksgiving is something that the Bible tells us is one of the few things that we can give to God that will truly bless his heart. I often say, and I and I believe this for my own life too, that there really is no worship that is as sweet as the song that's sung by a brokenhearted person. When we worship God, when we thank Him, when we, when we express gratitude to Him, when life really stinks at the moment, that's a sacrifice. But that sacrifice of praise is this rare, beautiful jewel in His sight. So there may be some of us who are gathering around tables tomorrow, and we, as you say, there are places there are empty seats at the table or there are memories that come up that bring us to tears instead of laughter or maybe we're we're sitting down to a table with no turkey because we can't pay the bills with no electricity because we can't pay the light bill praising in spite of that really becomes that sacrifice of praise that gratitude that comes as a gift a purely a gift to God because we recognize in the middle of it that he is still God and he he is still faithful even when we can't see it happening around us when we feel we have no hope we recognize he has promised that he is our hope we don't grieve as those who have no hope, like First Thessalonians says, but we also, we don't show gratitude as those who have no hope either. We sometimes have to just purely make it a gift to God from our heart to his. I will praise you in spite of what's happening around me. And as we see demonstrated uh, throughout Scripture, not only uh, the life of many of the apostles, but certainly Christ himself, uh, who, who look at the circumstances he went through, from betrayal to the experience of uh, his suffering to Golgotha, and ultimately the, his own crucifixion on behalf of all of us. And yet he, he demonstrated continuous surrender back unto the Father, and I think that we should be reminded that um, it's important not just to be grateful in our suffering, but for our suffering, uh, because in that and through that, as we learn to accept and embrace the life that he chooses for us, that God can be glorified, that much good can come out of what seems to be up close right now in the moment to be difficult and surmountably painful, and yet 
shifting our focus from us and our circumstances to him and his grace and his love can not only be tremendously freeing, but it can also give you some very important ways to be grateful. Our thanks to Cynthia Rukti, award-winning author, the book Tattered and Mended, The Art of Healing the Wounded Soul and Ragged Hope. Both books, by the way, available through Amazon.com. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.